All right, we're back. Oh my goodness, it's been way too long. And sorry for the break. We've had a bit of a hiatus. It was a season break for the summer. Lots of crazy new stuff. We're at Studio 41. Long story behind that, but you'll check out the video podcast. We've got some more stuff going on. You're going to see a bit of a new look and feel. But let's get to the good stuff because today we are featuring George Jorgalidis, and he is the founder of Basis. Not only is he talking about what we can do to better manage our lifestyle, but using the fantastic electronics that we have right around us to be able to do it, there's so much that's missing in what is right in front of us. George and his team are doing really neat stuff. They're just launching. It's super cool. You need to get involved. Hey, before you do that, of course, make sure you do check out all the cool stuff that we got going on by the fantastic folks that are supporting this podcast. Number one, of course, the great group at Shift Group. If you're a startup and you're looking to fill the void that you may not even realize you've got, how do you make sure that you've got the right selling professionals that know your vision, your story, and they are excited to take their history in being top level sports enthusiasts, athletes, high producers, take that same mentality and bring it over into true culture building sales organizations inside your startup. JR and the team that Shift Group are doing just that. They're introducing a fantastic network of sports professionals into the world of technology sales, and it's going great. So congrats to JR. Head on over to shiftgroup.io, check it out. Oh, that's right. And hey, what are they selling? Technology. What do you do? You got to protect that technology. Go to Veeam. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse because they've got everything you need for your data protection needs, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's on-prem, whether it's containerized. We're talking fast because we're almost at the beginning of the intro or the end of the intro. Hey, so go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Check it out. We're going to have some neat stuff going on around AWS reInvent. I'm running out of time. But you're not. So go on in and enjoy George Jorgalidis and the team at Basis. This is one. George is a fantastic human, a great inspiration both on what he and the team are doing. Plus, we go into his background and uh, just a really fun conversation. Super happy to be back to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Sorry for the echo. It's reverb. This is what happens. Natural reverb. I got a giant room. This is kind of crazy. All right. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, I'm George Jorgalidis. I'm the founder of Basis, and you're listening to the Disco Posse podcast. Okay, well, George, thank you very much. This is great. I looked at your bio upon learning we were going to chat and I thought I've got seven podcasts to record with George (laughs) because you've got an incredible storied history in the industry but most recently of course you're the founder of Basis and you've got a lot of really amazing stuff that you and the team are doing there we're going to dive into that and a bit more of your background which is great I love that that we've got lots we can cover so if you don't mind, George, for folks that are brand new to you, if you want to do a quick intro, talk about, we'll talk about basis and then we'll kind of roll in from there. Thanks so much, Rick. Excited to be here. Um, I'm, I'm George Urgalidis. I'm the founder of basis. And um, sorry, can we, can we do a pause on that one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was I got a bit confused with the voice intro in this one. <laughs> no problem. So yeah, yeah. My brain just like froze. I was like, am I supposed to do the voice intro right now? Or am I <laughs> no, <laughs> no so the beauty part is you literally nailed it on the first try. So I just, oh, just okay, cut it, it. As, as it is. <laughs> okay, got it. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> okay. Um, so so um, to this question, you're asking me just a general intro about myself, like whatever yeah, I want to. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, excellent. Let's let's go back. Do do you want to do I just start? Sure. Yeah. Think, yeah. Okay. Um, thanks, Eric. Excited to be here. Um, uh, Basis is, uh, as you said, kind of like the culmination of multiple projects in the space. Uh, I've had the luck of working in uh, from a young age, kind of getting exposed to from health insurance to uh, a healthcare family to working on uh, deep medical device stuff uh, with the FDA on a pacemaker. Um, supplements, consumer supplements, and the full spectrum. 
But really the thing that was that was been motivating me for the last decade or so is trying to get to the point where we improve the lifestyle and habits uh, of people in the United States and, and around the world to prevent chronic illness from from happening in the first place where possible. Um, besides that, yes, I'm, uh, you know, my, I, I live and breathe uh, health and wellness. I've, you know, been an athlete for many years, um, been in the army for, for two years. And uh, I'm my, I'm all my friends kind of like a, a personal encyclopedia on all things health and wellness. So. <laughs> well, and you've obviously got schooling to back it. You, this isn't just a passion, but you bring a lot in what your studies were. Uh, if you don't mind, even let's just run through that. What's your 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 study background in in the health area? Sure. Um, I, I initially uh, studied more on the business and uh, economic side at USC and UCLA, but more recently, I've been uh, um, I'm about to complete a graduate degree in bioinformatics at Stanford. Um, and um, yeah, from a from a study standpoint, that's. I feel I've been watching too much uh, courtroom testimony of famous courtrooms uh, lately. So I feel like I've got to like qualify Thank you here. as an expert before we ask questions. <laughs> what I if see. any? No. <laughs> <laughs> we need a t-shirt. <laughs> so yeah. this is, it's important because a lot of times we have this interesting challenge in, in startup founders what is lived experience versus what is simply somebody that's very good at running a company and it's very difficult to find somebody that spans both sides of that however you do you have actually got an understanding of the problem directly as well as experience in the industry and in, in successfully you know working in health and wellness and around running a startup and and the point of having a successful exit you've you've got so much but i'm going to say my favorite thing to see when i saw the tagline for basis this concept of being able to say that you could put your health on autopilot mm -hmm. and this is one of the things i really struggle with a lot of friends of mine people that ask for advice and they say eric like how do you what what's your diet plan i'm like don't 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 follow my diet plan because my diet plan is based on a lot of personalization and I can give you the advice that I use that's sort of the core of my philosophy, but then they'll see me do something that doesn't match what I say that I do and then they'll think oh well that's it it's out the window. The habit forming piece was early, but now i've gotten so good at the habit that I can deviate and I kind of know how to get back to Center. So that's years of challenge and you know learning sort of in, on the fly. But most mm -hmm. people, when they get started, they follow like super strict regimen. And the moment that they don't check the checkbox one day, or you don't fill the circles on your watch one day, they're like, oh, that's it, right? It's, it's as if you were like an alcoholic and you're like, oh, I took one drink, so it's over, toss the chip and, and you're done. Like it's, I don't mean to use such a sort of bold mm -hmm. analogy, but it really does happen where people are like, well, if I'm going to blow it this day, then I'm just going to have dessert tomorrow too, or I'm going to not run for a week. Like it's very easy for us to get lost in the need to be habitual. But meanwhile, your body has these rhythms that can develop that can deviate and move and swing. Even when you follow the regimen, your, mm -hmm. your rhythms may not align with the check boxes. So George, what, what does basis do for people that helps them towards, you know, really this idea of true health and wellness? Yeah. So, so what really quick on, on what you mentioned. So it's really interesting. We've noticed that we'll see people who, uh, you know, let's say work out religiously, they're on a, on a schedule. And then as soon as they deviate for a couple of times, they go on a, on a, on a spiral where they don't work out for like two, three weeks, maybe even more sometimes. Right. Um, so it definitely feels like that emotion where it, once you get out of the routine, it's really tough. It, it almost feels like you've broken from this good habit and that all of a sudden you can go back to bad habits before you go back to the good one. Um, so one of the biggest things we've there, there's two there's two kind of uh, behavioral trends we've noticed. One is that people tend to plan things, but in a very rigid, static way, meaning every day I'm going to work out at this time, which takes it doesn't take into account whether you're recovered 
what your progressive uh, load has been, uh, what does your day look like? So like historically, if you look at, you know, how we plan our, our health habits, we don't actually think, what does our calendar look like? What does our schedule look like? Do we actually have time today? Do I have more time on Mondays? Like, um, so there's a ton of like nuance in how we actually build good habits, you know, besides the psychological things of scheduling and planning it and like having the intention and understanding why you do it. Uh, there's also just understanding the dynamic of your body and your day. So with basis, one of the, we actually stumbled upon this while trying to build a different type of uh, product addressing the same issue um, is that we have a ton of people who have wearables. You know, I, I have two uh, on me and, you know, we're seeing more and more people have at least one, um, but they don't understand what to do with that information, which is sad because we actually have kind of like a, a treasure chest of information in these devices, but people just don't understand how to use. So essentially what we've, what we've set out to build is the missing link between wearable data today in the future. We want to do other health data points as well um, and how we apply them uh, in, in a practical way in our day-to-day -day life. So things that have come out of that is we've, essentially build this physiological layer that we use your wearable data to understand. So are you feeling stressed right now? How recovered are you? Um, what, what state is your body in? Are you in a negative or positive trend? Um, and a number of things we can get into the nuance of that. But importantly, the contextual layer. So for example, what is what does your day look like? So we sync with people's calendars. Um, where are you? So location is important as well. So trying to match what we tell someone to do based on what's going on in their life has been a game changer for kind of how people receive, accept, and the dynamic uh, nature of our products uh, recommendations. And the, the interesting thing is if you take the sort of the athletic realm where we, we have to be super strict on understanding every variation, every variable that can affect things. And that's why we even have stuff like perceived rate of efforts. Like, I feel like I'm doing good. I look at my power meter. My power meter is like, oh, Eric's not having a good day today. <laughs> I'm like, I feel okay. But it could be wind. It could be I was tired. It could be that, you know, I'm in a different time zone. There are many things that can be, you know, affect the outcome mm -hmm. but yeah if i'm just looking at the circles i may be disappointed and and that's why i love this idea that there's so much data that we're gathering especially when you have wearables that's effectively just getting tossed in in the bin and then people often say the people that are already way in tune to it say well just like connect it to strava and connect to whatever like no no most people don't know what strava even is Mm -hmm. This is for everybody else who's not like going out of their way to fit a workout into their day, like who's not aggressively including it in their schedule. We are not the target audience for this stuff. I need everybody else, 80% of the population, I need them to have access to the tools that I've developed mm -hmm. without having to like get the gumption to develop them like that's where this is a huge audience of people that just need a little nudge mm -hmm. i think importantly um even even though like let's say in my case so i've i've had the 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 luck of being again I've, i was brought up with very good principles around how to make good decisions for my health and wellness um, i went to the army which was very performance driven kind of tracking but then uh, i competed on two national teams uh ncaa division one um, and so I had a ton of direction, a ton of kind of like personalized instruction. Um, and I think even, even as an athlete, you need that, um, you need that guidance and you need that support, uh, in a way that, because you, you just can't have the, the, the tension of monitoring your, your, um, biometrics every day. Um, when it comes to the, the average person that's not familiar with the terms, when you see a term like HRV or resting heart rate you're instantly confused. What am I supposed to, how do you even interpret this thing? Even if there's a description, applying that into an actual decision in your day is, is, is kind of like a futile pursuit or expectation. Um, but even when it comes to savvy people, we found that as long as they trust that the recommendations and the, the models and the patterns we identify are correct, they actually are very happy to almost like delegate that, that kind of like process in their brain that would otherwise occupy time in their day to figure out a decision. 
So for example, should I work out today? And if I do, what's the workout intensity I should aim for, right? Um, so, so decisions like that, or um, based on my, my, my meeting load today, should I skip a workout and should I instead do a rest activity so that I actually get to my optimal recovery? So th things like that, they're like small nuances, but like actually keep you, um, it, it's really, it's really tough to get back. As you said, like when you, when you break a habit, but also why do you break a habit? Many times it's because of kind of schedule changes or lifestyle changes, but also many times because you hit a, a, a low point in recovery. And now you have that memory of like, it, it takes time to recover when you hit a low point. Burnout, let's say. Burnout is a really tough place to got, come back from once you've gotten there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, li lived that one <laughs> a bunch oh, yeah. of times. Like, what is it? <laughs> Physically and, and mentally, because, and that's really what it is, is the, that hangs on to you as well. And I've even had like, I, when people ask it, like, you know, you're, you know, you're athletic, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you, you are, you're one of those, you're one of those like, you know, fitness people. And I'm like, you, those, those people that don't want to die in their forties. Yeah. That's, that's me. I'm not like a type a athletic got to win, be in it to win it type of situation. I like to ride a bike. I started racing, you know, a few years ago, but just because I'm like, why not? Like it would push me to, I just want to see how I can do. And, and I had fun with it. And, and I rode in some, you know, provincial races and some national races. I'm like, oh, that's neat. Nowhere near the front. No, nowhere near the front. <laughs> you know, same with running. I'm like, I do it more to like, can I, it was a personal goal for me, but then I don't train. I don't do other things. I don't have the consistency to be athletic at a high performance level. But my idea of having a low performance is higher than most people's because they just don't have fitness at all in their life. It's, it's hard for them to be able to prioritize it and fit it in. And, and I understand, right? It's, certainly it's no, no knock on anybody for the, that they haven't been able to up to this point, right? It's a lot of reasons. So I would say, people say, do you ride a bike? And do you ride a lot? I'm like, I ride more than most, but less than many. Right. Mm -hmm. So the people that I compare myself to are are pretty hardcore, but compared to a, the plethora of human society, I'm, I'm probably doing more than a bunch of people. And even there, like you said, I know my resting heart rate. I, I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm resting heart rates at 42. You know, my general, you know, I I feel like I'm in fairly good shape. That's excellent. Yeah. At 42 but I don't. But when I sometimes I go for a workout out of calendar reasons not am i really ready to work out today and i'll you can, i can tell right away that i'm not feeling good temperature could be different and it's a battle in my mind of like but i was supposed to have a good six mile run right now and you know i turn around at four and i think okay was it successful well i did four miles life is good right it's Mm -hmm. same thing it's like i didn't let my body guide me to that workout i let my calendar guide me to the workout and then i took on the mental disappointment mm -hmm. of having not achieved this goal mm -hmm. and uh, luckily i'm i'm old so i've learned to get over those disappointments pretty quickly <laughs> but again the reason i say this is just i'm acutely aware of my where i need to be and where i am and it's a struggle for me so when people are not aware of their, like, how do I feel right now and what could make it feel better? It's, it's a gap that most people just don't know how to cross. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think uh, a couple of interesting things is most people don't push themselves enough. So actually not knowing um, how much you can actually get to with your intensity actually kind of like blocks you from getting to that next level. But I think if you think of, um, so let's, let's use cycling as an example. I, I did a ton of kind of like triathlon programs and um, the way you, the way they're set up is like, you know, eight week or 12 week, let's say uh, schedule. And there's an assumption that on week three and week six, you're going to need to like scale it back to recover. Yeah. That's like a one size fits all health plan, right? The reality is something could have happened on week one that my recovery is just destroyed. 
So you have a ton of people following these one size fits all plans that end up expecting an outcome and they don't get to it and they get this, you know, demotivated, they get, um, um, you know, just burned out or from like physically burned out because they just don't, uh, they, they can't adapt to it correctly. So I think that, you know, just to kind of like comment it on this point is just wearables have this ability to show us a window into what's going on in our body. Um, and when coupled with the other kind of elements of what's going on in our life, it's an incredibly insightful kind of uh, understanding of what, on a very personal level, what's going on in our life and how do we build around it? <clears throat> and then once we have that, there's other building blocks we can keep building. So for example, um, beyond let's call them these, these known wearables, right? Like the Aura Rings and the Apple Watches of the world. Uh, you now have more, more uh, newer ones in the forefront, newer relatively CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, which are incredibly insightful um, in and of themselves. Again, useful, but even more useful when, when coupled with understanding how does, how does my glucose relate to my recovery and my sleep? So, right. we, so, so that's something that we're also working on to, to couple nutrition and glucose response to what's going on with your wearables. Um, but then moving forward, you have genetic data, you have lab data, you have other home testing data. So there's, there's a wealth of data that unfortunately people are collecting today and they're either staying in silos or unused. How many people do you know that have genetic data that they did it once and that's it, they have no, they have no use for it anymore. But actually there's, there's a ton of um, um, useful kind of utility to that on an ongoing basis as you make decisions about your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, this is the, the, the thing that we often find is we treat it like a point in time. And right. in fact, yeah. it's the differential between them that really shows you it's the delta from A to B that really is telling you the difference, right? It's why, I mean, heck, even in business, you know, if you look at a point in time, any company appears healthy. It's, it's when you look at the last time you checked on them, you're like, oh boy, yeah, yeah, things have gotten worse. <laughs> if you look yeah. at a point in time, it appears healthy right now. But when you look at it relative to previous measurements, that in fact is, you know, it's the most important thing because it's, it's all based on relative to where you need to be. You know, the, the rest period of time is interesting. Like for, for a marathon training, if you follow the specific regimen, what happens if you're, if you're off, if you get sick in week two? So, right. right. So, you know, at week three, you're like, oh, this is supposed to be my, my taper week. And you're like, mm -hmm. well, it's not a taper week because you can, you can load your training now because you've, you're back. But if we follow the regimen, you know, you'll underperform at the end. Meanwhile, you could have adapted at the point in time, because again, relative to the last measurement, you're like, okay, things have changed. Wipe out the schedule, shake it like an etch a sketch and say like, that's where are we right yeah. now? And where do we need to be? It's uh, it's an interesting challenge. And continuously tracking that Delta is actually what motivated me to, to work on basis. So um, three years ago, I, I lost both my stepdad and my father-in-law to instant heart attacks in a span of five days. So it was just this, this you know, this, uh, I think rare kind of emotional kind of uh, scenario. Um, and the, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning it is because both had been cleared uh, with an annual exam um, three and four weeks before their respective heart attacks. Wow. And they were given a clean bill of health. And that was kind of like, I was already very, I, I wasn't the biggest advocate of kind of like annual or periodic testing to assess our health. And that was just kind of like another you know, very strong imprint in my, in my brain, in my, 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 in my motivation. Um, and, and that really set me on this path of saying, okay, even though it's, it's been the status quo for a long time, we need to get to a point where we can enable people to continuously monitor and track their health um, and their wellness. Right. Uh, and to get to that though, because humans aren't inherently motivated to think of potential death all the time. Right. And the worst case scenarios, you need to couple that in something that has, uh, in essentially is enveloped in instant gratification. So that's why Basis is actually a health and wellness product intended to help you uh, live, uh, you know, increase health span, potentially lifespan, uh, ultimately, possibly, but enveloped in trying to enhance your daily productivity, performance, um, well-being. So things, things that you actually care about. How do you feel? 
How recovered are you? How stressed are you? How energetic are you? So those are the things that humans care about on a day-to-day basis. They don't care about, you know what, how do I prevent a potential heart attack 10 years from now? So we got to play with the human psychology to get them to something that ultimately they do want, but only until it gets to the point where the risk is imminent, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing too. And you think like it's, this is why we have like, you know, the 1% theory. Like if we could just like, just incrementally do a little bit more, the, the, the payback is incredible. And, but we unfortunately wait for a significant event to drive behavioral change. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's never a significant, there's rarely a significant positive event. You don't just mm-hmm. suddenly have a fantastic physical day. You yeah, sure have true. a bad day out of the yeah. blue, but it's like, there's never going to be, but yet as humans, we're never taught to think that way. It's always just like, well, I'm, I'm still okay. It used to drive me crazy because I'd see all my friends who, you know, when you're in high school, you're like measuring your biceps and checking your abs and you're doing all this stuff. And you were like about performance and you're about like looking good. And cause we had all of these life goals we wanted to achieve and we're invincible and you did, you know, fun, crazy things. And then those same people when they're 27 are like poking their belly, like the Pillsbury Doughboy, going like, check that out. Like, and they're almost, they're just accepting that. Well, I'm 30 now, my metabolism is slowing down. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm 49 and I have 14% body fat. It's not because okay. I'm born with it. It's not because I'm, you know, I'm doing incredible amounts of work. It is incremental, continuous work that I do. That means that I can go a little crazy at the buffet one day. Yeah. Or I can miss a workout or 10. And I know like how I can recoup, but it's like, I only because I accepted early that I needed to do something to maintain continuous incremental positive benefit, but it's, it's not common. And I didn't know that, like, I didn't understand that. I mean, I even, I still talk to people to this day and they'll say like, oh, you know, your, your diet, I use intermittent fasting, Mm -hmm. but I have a coconut milk latte every morning. And I get Mm -hmm. sort of people getting angry, almost angry at it because they're like, that's not fasting because you're having something that will trigger liver function. I'm like, I look down, I'm like, it seems to be working out. Okay. <laughs> but because my own rhythm has developed where I can include that and I'm still yeah. able to, to do the thing that's it's adaptive. It has to be adaptive. Yeah. So, so on that, it's interesting because our bodies are so, uh, you know, they're, they're, our bodies just are, 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 structured to survive so you can actually go through a period where everything is just suboptimal but somehow your body will still continue going on right so yeah there was a point where i was sleeping four hours a day doing three hour workouts a day for training um and not even eating at a at a great level and i thought you know if you asked me i was like hey listen I'm, i'm fine i'm perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with me um and actually, that's another. So when, when we go back to discussing this delta, this continuous delta, it's also like this truth, truth, right? Like this, this absolute truth. Um, whereas you're not just I, I, I catch people frequently tell me if I feel right, then I don't need anything to tell me if I'm feeling right. Um, but I think our bodies are just really good at adapting to these things and not telling us the signs once we've ignored them enough times. Because you do have the signs, but if you're not listening to for example, things that indicate cardi- increased cardiovascular risk, or if they're indicating increased metabolic risk or any other things. There's so many people I've met who said, once you point out what the signs were, they're like, oh, you know what? I saw that, but I didn't pay attention to it. Right. So finding a way to, to, to allow people to, to listen to something that tracks that delta and that they trust and can um, uh, adapt um, I think is, um, you know, that, that's probably my biggest goal with, with basis. Like if we can achieve that, I think, you know, having worked on medical devices and having worked on other products in the space that ultimately were, were geared towards fixing a problem that already came to be right. I mean, uh, really sad, but when I was uh, working on the pacemaker, we kept meeting with surgeons 
who were amputating 15 people a week uh, because of metabolic illness. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's just, yeah, you, you just think about there's, yes, you can find treatments to support or tools to support them to continue living, but the quality of life has forever been marred. And, you know, their, their, their health span, their lifespan has been uh, significantly diminished. So you need to find a way to motivate them or to support them before. And so my, my mission is I feel that if I can get to a point where I build something that whether through our product or we inspire other products to do the same, we can find a behavioral way and a passive way. And then hence where the whole autopilot idea comes from, right? If we can remove the friction and we make it so easy to automatically kind of um, identify these things for you and adapt for you. Um, I think we have, I think that will have a bigger impact on health span than most things that we're working on. Well, that's one thing I wanted to, to point out too, in looking at your approach to it is not just that basis is the only thing that can save you from, from near death, right? Like, which is often how a founder approaches it kind of that, like we, we've been trained as well as like the founder's vision is about the, something's broken. We are the only solution. Here's a list mm -hmm. of effective alternatives, but George, you're everything about what you've done to be here, to get here. It, it it's a, we very much you in hearing how you describe it is us and anybody else in the industry. There really is a collective approach that I find you have. Maybe it's because it that beautiful big Greek family. I'm sure that you grew up in, <laughs> I didn't have a choice, but to be a collective, but what, what what does drive you to include that in your your ethos? Yeah, I mean, I think um, as as a person, uh, I'm mission driven. Um, so um, at the end of the day, when when you're mission driven, it's it's really you just want to make sure that the mission comes to be right. Um, so whether that's um, uh, whether that's collectively working with others. And or you know um, individually, if if no one else is working on it, I think people that I've been inspired by have the thing that has excited me is that they they felt this need to respond to something because no one else was doing. And I'm not not that's not to say that no one else is doing this, right? I just feel that um, no one else has done it in a way that I've seen there be enough of a, a shift and enough of a change, or enough of like a, a meaningful. Uh, Kind of move towards the things that I'm seeing being um, weaknesses in our, in our kind of like in, in, in our way of living. Um, so, I think at the end of the day, the problem or the opportunity for us to improve our our health spans and lifespans is so immense, immense across the world. Uh, I think there's space for many companies uh, to occupy it, um, and ultimately, I think it's something that as a mission, like if if I can live through life and feel that I've I've had I've put a dent on kind of like uh, improving uh, human lifespan or health span, that's probably the most satisfying, um, you know, feeling that, that could come out of my work as a, as a, as a product uh, person, right? I don't want to call myself entrepreneur or anything like that. I think it's more about building products. Yeah, that was another thing I was about to, to, to say that you, you rarely describe yourself in when you describe what you do, which is also uh, an interesting I'll say it's a difference compared to a lot of folks that typically in that sort of founder's mindset. And it, it goes again, like sort of beyond like what you're doing with, you know, what you've done in the past too, is that, that, that collective approach, which I really, especially in, in health and wellness, it, it really will be community driven. I think mm -hmm. that we do this because, you know, I don't think there's a, there's a chance for a single Unif you know, single person, unitary person to be able to deliver the message that will change the world. It has to be a community led community appreciated community driven thing. And because uh, it's, I mean, look, that's why coaches run teams, you know, well, it's about the, the interaction. And mm. that's what we see. That's our peer level stuff. And if you lead that way, thinking to affect the peer group, then that's where fundamental change really can occur. 
I also I, th I think to to add to that is um, I think when when others that have similar missions see that if, if they see that you're on the same wavelength, I think two two things two beautiful things have happened up to now is if if this hasn't been their top of mind objective, but it's a personal mission of theirs, they actually become huge advocates um, and they extend their own kind of networks and, and level of support. Um, because they almost feel like, okay, this is something that I wanted to uh, have an impact, but, you know, George perhaps is more motivated and, and, and I feel that, that George could accomplish it so I can support him. And similarly in, in, in other kind of like, you know, I have other things that I'd like to put a dent in the world, right? Like to, 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 to benefit, but I know that I'm single-minded focused on this right now. So, um, I will support others, um, in their effort to, uh, you know, achieve their missions. Um, and I think that's, that's the, that's the great thing of, of kind of like innovators and, and product focused people and like people who actually are, are, are building products to change something is this, uh, community, as you said, is, is really strong, um, just supporting each other, enabling each other. Now, what would you say is has had sort of the most profound effect that gave you the, if you're like, I don't want to say gift, whatever, gave you the ability to approach the thing you were working on with single-minded focus, even though this is not the thing you're working on five years ago. Mm. So what what's the, how much of nature versus nurture gave you that capability? Um, probably mostly nurture, I would say, uh, in the sense that uh, I think it's a combination of how I've experienced a very ongoing, the relationship I've had through, since I was a, a very young with different parts of the health and wellness experience. So uh, as I said, uh, my family had a, a health insurance. Um, most of my family was in healthcare. So I, I grew up with kind of those concepts being uh, around me. Uh, one of the first, the first job I ever had was when I was 13, I was writing policies, right? <laughs> uh, just, you know, in, in the company uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, office. So, um, and then just experiencing from a performance standpoint and then experiencing from the, kind of like the medical device space and then experiencing from um, um, the, the COVID uh, kind of like time. But can I say that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we're cool. We're on the other side. We can talk about it now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um. For folks, it's funny. So right before, the, you know, George, you and I talked about this before, how, yeah, it's there's that funny little marker that comes up when we talk about it. As long as we don't have great amounts of combat. No, true. Like this, the, the function of what we've gone through and its effect on societal behavior and understanding the sort of gaps in, in healthcare and the the difference between policy and practice in healthcare, mm -hmm. and then the community feeling of, and I mean, as in the broader societal feeling of how we're now, people really got hyper aware of the mm -hmm. impact that something like this can have. And then I hope, oh, I sure hope that we take that lesson and apply it at a much more granular level. I said, well, what if I had a cardiac incident? Or hmm. what if I had uh, a, a, you know, a blood clot? And we start to think about that stuff. It's not that we should be morbid and like diving into these like, oh, you know, I can't go here because of whatever. But it is just like even the smallest behavior. Like we talked about diet before. I go on planes. My wife is allergic to pretty much everything like the food is trying to kill her on a daily basis so we have a very strict regimen very strict diet and we're careful especially on planes because nuts are one of the most you know, the biggest parts of her allergy so we've always been super careful so we don't eat because like the last thing you want is like you rub a seat eat something nut dust all over it anaphylaxis in a plane very bad situation right so we just don't eat on planes i take international flights you know, and you get the sort of thing that people are like, what do you, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you eat on a plane? I said, like, I don't need to eat on a plane. They're like, but it's a five hour flight. I'm like, to California from New York. I'm like, that's, 
that's not a big deal. <laughs> like we can go for days without eating, but we've just like trained ourselves that like, oh, you can't have any deviation, you know, like be prepared that something can happen. And it's just so weird that like just societally we we've been trained that like, oh, you know, if I don't eat for five hours, I'm going to go into diabetic shock or something horrifying. <laughs> like, so funny thing on that, I used to I used to be the guy who um, I had to eat before I sleep and I had to eat as soon as I woke up. Uh, and I think that's just I don't know, kind of like as, as an athlete at the time, I was just taught to constantly eat to kind of like supplement my caloric needs. Right. But then I started, I wanted to get into intermittent fasting. So I built up my, my tolerance up to the point where I got to 24 hours. And then I just decided to take it uh, another up another notch. And I did uh, a five-day water fast. It was oh, amazing. Wow. I mean, it was like, I, I mentally, it just helps you get to another level. Like, and you, um, you have to problem solve to kind of like trick your body to giving you energy that it stores. So like, as an example, one thing I discovered is the third day was the worst for me. Um, and, right. uh, I, I, I was wearing a CJM at the time. So my glucose was down to 54, um, which is, you know, pretty low. Um, and what I discovered was that if I woke up and I did light exercise, I would trick my body to thinking that, oh, we actually need to give energy to George now. And I would get it up to 76, which is a very functional, um, kind of level for your glucose to be, um, the other thing I was going to say is it's, it's interesting you said about the times because I feel the zeitgeist kind of like the current zeitgeist is, is something that is another reason why basis is like the, the time has come for a product like basis because we do have this inherent distrust and in kind of like the status quo of how we've been assessed and, and directed about our healthcare. There's a there's like this collective desire to personalize our health journeys. And which is part, part of the reason why wearables have exploded, why home tests have exploded in demand. Um, but there's still a lot to be, you know, a lot left to be, a lot left to be desired, I think is the expression, right? Um, and I think combining that zeitgeist with, uh, with the remote work, like the reality of everyone living in a remote world, you have another very interesting reality is that now people have a lot more flexibility around how to structure their day which can be good and bad, right? There's both good and bad. But the, the other interesting thing is we live in a society where I think it's you used to be able to show up to work and justify your, your work existence. Now it's a lot more performance driven because you're not appearing there. Your, your, your actual work output is more um, uh, evaluated. So I think that reality has this, this combination of desire to take healthcare into our hands or our health journeys into our hands and the desire to perform and be more performant and feel better every day. I think that that's the really interesting kind of zeitgeist we're, we're, we're trying to build on top this, this emotional and psychological change that's happening. Well, and that is really the great opportunity right? you think of performance at a psychological level. And that just could be like literally like feeling good about your day, being like enthralled with creativity is very much mapped around, you know, whether it's caffeine intake, blood glucose levels, exercise levels, rest levels. There are mind productivity pieces that are very much attached. You don't separate mind from body, you know, and I remembered hearing, uh, so uh, George St. Pierre, uh, GSP is a famous uh, mixed martial artist and, and he does uh, very restrictive fasting. So his, his eating window is, I forget what it like. He's generally, it's like 12 or 1 PM until eight. So he has an eight hour window, but he works out six hours a day. And his, one of his things, he does a rolling workout in the morning after fasting. So imagine that you just do nothing but black coffee. And then he rolls for two hours. And he says, I, he says, I feel mentally sharper and more aware of myself and my body and my reactions to things because of that. He says, I, I just feel mentally stronger, like more mental acuity, which goes counter to what we've kind of been taught of like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And you can't go to school without a big breakfast. But meanwhile, it's actually triggering the opposite effect where kids get to school and they're like nodding off at their desk because we've done what the 
the old pyramid told us to do, which was to load them full of fats and carbs in the morning and then send them to school on a bus. Yeah, uh, I, I see what there's. Um, uh, there was a, there was an ex someone else that I wanted to mention, um, but I, it escaped my mind now. Um, but I think I think there's there's definitely been um, a ton of very interesting happening in terms of traditional con conventional thinking changing as people have gone in more explore mode. So I think you've historically was like the the uh, it wasn't the norm to see someone that was experimenting with whether intermittent fasting or different types of eating, right? Like whether going from traditional American diet to keto or something else, unless it was a religiously driven uh, motive. Right. But now, funny enough, uh, I say this, that food, food in and of itself or diets have become their own religion. So I think you mentioned earlier on in the, in the discussion that uh, your friends ask you what you eat and then they're all like, they're almost looking at you like, did you deviate from what you said you eat? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because if you say you're keto, if someone sees you eat carbs, it's like, whoa, you're going to break your keto. Uh, or if you're, um, you know, if, if you're, I guess, trying to be vegan and someone sees in some way that you ate meat. So I spent three years being vegan. I, I've tried, I've tried different types of, to see how my body responds to it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's also interesting to note that how we've uh, how our genetics have adapted so where we grew and how our family lived is has a big influence um on what our body can can kind of like absorb and, and and how we can eat so for example if you start fasting this is a study i don't know how 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 much merit we can give it but um i, th I found it very interesting if you start fasting now for the next you know for the rest of your life and your body does actually get the uh, benefits of intermittent fasting. So the cellular regeneration and you kind of like all, all those other key benefits that we, that we look for. Um, if your children don't fast, so children that you have after your, gen your epigenetic, you know, impact has, has changed. Um, if your children don't fast, it could actually have an even a detrimental effect on them if they don't fast. So their health could actually be um, possibly um, compromised. So anyway, it's interesting things that I think we're looking at an individual level and we should optimize on an individual level, but there's all these trickle down things that go from what happened in the past, what would happen in the future. Um, and they're super exciting things to figure out. I mean, there's, there should be, I, I enjoy that there's so much intellectual curiosity around what we eat, the, the variations in how we exercise, the, this obsessive desire to improve sleep because sleep is incredibly important. Um, and I say obsessive desire because we have, you know, all these different tools, like in, in, in uh, different types of mattresses, dif different types of, um, you know, white noise machines. Sleep <laughs> measurement is the new kale. It's like everybody I know is like, have you got an aura? Have you got a this? Have you got a that? I'm like, they got 3D cameras pointed at their bed. I'm like, I sleep yeah. like heck and I don't want to know. <laughs> I probably don't want to know, but it's, it is interesting that we, we do have access to tools now. However, to your point, right. That we talked about this, George is that we, what do we do with it now? So you take it and you look at the graph and it looks all janky and you say, okay, I've got this really spiky graph. Well, now what, but what if you pair it with continuous glucose monitoring or pair it with just even your Apple watch to tell you what your heart rate is at various points of the day. And you start to bring that data together. And all of a sudden this could <laughs> potentially lead towards us doing real diagnostic mm -hmm. care, not just preventative. So like preventative could at least be like preventative is more like, pardon the phrase, flattening the curve, right? Or leveling the curve. But diagnostic could be finding the spike like a mm -hmm. minor spike that is indicative of something else that's why i mean the new apple watches the newest generation of them right they have stuff for looking for uh like heart rhythm uh, variations and especially as somebody who is you know has cardiac sim you know issues in the family genetically <clears throat> so i go for I went to a cardiologist. I went ECG, EEG, EZG, -E all sorts of all sorts of letters in, in E's and G's, and I performed very well. 
but that doesn't mean that I don't have an arrhythmia that could be happening every night, <clears throat> but it just mm -hmm. doesn't show up for the 12 minutes I get on the bloody treadmill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's an interesting analogy here. So I think when you think of mobile, um, if you think of mobile, um, you know, 15 years ago, it was barely kind of breaking out. We can't really think of life without mobile now. It's like actually the majority of our activities is almost on mobile, right? Uh, and, and mobile has enabled all these amazing things that we could have never imagined. Like people run businesses off of mobile. Um, people run their entire life off of mobile. Your entire kind of social experiences off of mobile. Um, transactions, like we, we, we transact. Everything is, it, it's, it's so central to our life. And I don't think we can imagine kind of life without mobile today. But the interesting thing is like, if you look at wearables per se, like, but, and then we can think of this analogy in a different way. Um, this is a, this is a platform that is predominantly being, um, you know, is growing from a health and wellness standpoint. Like the primary reason why people buy wearables is because they're looking to track fitness, track their health or improve something. Right. right? And we're seeing massive explosion, like Google, Apple, I've, even Amazon, uh, Samsung, they're saying that this is one of their breakout platforms and they're investing a ton of effort and, and money into it. Um, so I think for something we're really bullish on is that if we look five to 10 years down the road, uh, there's this concept that user-generated health data. So not just wearable data, but um, other forms of data. So um, not to get not to get too sci-fi here, uh, but computer vision um, uh, and not to get to uh, to tap into people's private sensitivities, but implantables, right? Just right. sources of data that have higher integrity, higher diversity, um, kind of like higher sampling rates. I think we have this this um, we're, we've we've painted this field now for the next decade where we could actually have a ton of amazing uh, new data sources that people can generate at home, uh, but yet we're already like uh, kind of like our, our attention span is already capped. We can't even process the things we see in our, in our, in our data today. So when I see that opportunity, I see that I'm assuming that the data is going to be there. The, the, the forms of data are going to be there. I just, if we can build this, if we can build a system that allows people that enables people to make sense of all that, as we continue down this uh, inevitable path, I feel, um, I think we we're, we'll we'll look back ten years from now and say, who knew we could have actually done this today? Because if you look ten years before, we were looking at pedometers, right? Like we're we've yeah, progressed yeah. a ton <laughs> in a decade. Right. Remember, they would they would hand out pedometers and cereal boxes, and that was because they were trying to sort of drive fitness as a behavior, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know. But meanwhile, there'd be a pedometer in a box of Lucky Charms, right? Like it's it's probably it's it's like putting a vitamin with your your kung pao chicken. You're really you're fighting two sides of the battle on this one. But at least we saw a push, right? It was. I mean, when I grew up. Mm -hmm. It was like participation. It was. I, mean, I think that was. I don't know if it was in the U.S. or not. It was definitely in Canada, and it was like 15 minutes a day. Just some activity you do 15 minutes a day, and it's so funny. It's like just such a simple one percent type of idea of like just if you do 15 minutes of any type of activity, that's something. It's more than you than, than nothing. But that because we were being measured by the clock. And it was a, an initiative and you, you're participating in it. But now your watch can participate for you, right? It can tell you that you've hit that circle. There are so many great nudges that we can mm -hmm. give because the technology is there to measure and guide. But like you said, there's so much data that's out there that's being so vastly underutilized and not mm -hmm. being correlated and aggregated. So if I've got a, you know, what I've got an Apple phone. So what am I going to get? I get an Apple watch, but maybe I've got another thing that somebody gets me, uh, you know, a wearable of some kind, they get me an aura for, for Christmas, you know, it, there's all this disparate data that lives in different places. But if you pulled it together into a spot, you know, this, I, I'm, I'm really bullish on the idea of basis as, I mean, heck, if I was if I was doing your biz dev, I'd be going to, you know, every insurance company saying, like, let's let's do this deal that that's really where I think we're going next too. is that insurance providers 
the same way that they've got like car insurance, you put this box in your car and as long as you don't speed, your insurance is going to go down. Well, why mm. can't we do that for health insurance where you say like you behave, you, you follow these behaviors and practices to enhance your health will lower your insurance rates like that is where we should be going in the big huge picture to incentivize stuff and this is why like basis is such a fantastic example of the industry leading that direction and and guiding to so that insurance companies will be able to do that right like you're opening the door to this huge possibility of real societal behavioral change for the positive so. so interesting thing on the insurance piece. So I've, I've had conversations with uh, insurance VCs and I don't know if you have any of your listeners that are, so it'll be interesting, I guess, if uh, whether they agree or disagree with this, but the ones that I've spoken to, my, my key question was, why do you uh, predominantly rely on population level health data, right? Um, <clears throat> versus what, what, what prevents us from having more personalized um, kind of insurance quotes or dynamic, but on the, and here's a little parenthesis is we don't we don't want to push in the direction of <clears throat> penalizing people. We we just want to find a way. How do we <clears throat> reward good behavior? Right. Um, either for people who already have it or people who are getting towards it. So I think there's a big piece around this, what I'm gonna say right now that, that I, I also disagree with, where you become discriminatory in a negative way, right? Or you start giving people who don't have good habits really bad rates. That's not that's not good. That's um, a fantastic but- thing. And and I think that's even in the insurance side, that's, I think the biggest negative sensation is that we're going to be punished for bad behavior. But in fact, it should take you back to baseline. Like this is your, it's going to be $2,000 a year for your insurance. If you do good, it's going to go down to 1800. If you do bad, it's 2000. If you do really bad, it's 2000. Like, but there's a natural distrust of any, corporate system holding a bunch of data and that they won't they'll only use it for good wink wink (laughs) (laughs) that's definitely there and and i and i I get the i get the feeling i mean it's it's something we've uh we've learned through you know negative case studies right it's not like something we just decided is there but the interesting learning that i had though was that they and, and I've corroborated with the people that I've spoken to is that most people track, they, they don't have continue, um, long, longitudinal enough data to actually create personalized models. For example, on average, they can get three months worth of data on people, right? Um, after that, it gets shaky. And funny enough, when I speak to people, when I, what they corroborate with me is that after three months, they start with this excitement of using a wearable. And after three months, they're like, oh, you know what? I've learned everything I had to learn from this. I have no, no use for this. And they start increasingly letting it down to the point where many by six months more than 50 percent have pretty much stopped using the wearable unless maybe they're working out or something like that um and i think when i when i when i then i can bring it back to basis is that one of the important things if we can find a way to create practical utility in your day-to-day then you can actually justify why you didn't want to continue using the product, right? The wearable, right. which then leads us to the potential for having higher long, like six months or more of longitudinal data on, on a person. And now you unlock these opportunities with the insurance companies, um, hopefully only for the positive side. Um, definitely not. Yeah. And as the guy who's pointed to his wrist three times, I think, well, we've talked <laughs> to, to tell you about how I have my Apple watch, but I see it over on the charger, right? Yeah. Like, I now only wear it when I want to be measured. So I wear it when I go for a run I, and, or I wear it when I'm somewhere where I need to be able to know whether messages are coming in. Cause I, yes, it is such a funny thing that I've narrowed my behavior with it because I, I'm not incented to do otherwise, but if I was, mm-hmm. you know, gathering for a specific long-term benefit, mm-hmm. then it would, it would be part of my behavior to be sort of nudged to like, Hey, make sure you put it on every day, you know, or if you take it off, take it off for a day or a few hours mm-hmm. to charge it, not five days at a time where I don't, don't wear it. So. Because, and, and I think it's because they've been labeled as predominantly fitness devices. And I think there's a stress tracking, there's recovery tracking, and that's, that's independent of like, uh, uh, an activity that you consider as trackable, right? Like, so me sitting here with you right now, I have a physiological response. 
So if I have three meetings, Zoom meetings, right? Like I will have a physiological response that ideally with basis, we like to track on your behalf and tell you how to adapt to it if you need to. So has your stress level, has, have you, ha, did you stress spike during this time that right. it would be optimal if you, if you do some kind of rest activity, maybe meditation, if you're, if, you, if you're amenable to meditation. Um, but I think tracking, tracking whether you're sedentary, right? If you're not wearing it, we can't know. Uh, so tracking your sedent whether you're sedentary can enable us to let you know if it's time to to do uh, more activity. Uh, there's just so many other personalized things like your circadian rhythm is something that we we track. Your um, kind of your hunger rhythm, like whether you've uh, whether you're um, you've eaten or not. Um, smart water and smart water tracking, like <clears throat> you can adapt how much water someone needs based on their actual activity levels. Like so, any gaps in the data actually make things shakier. So it's actually one of the biggest kind of like behavioral changes that, that we ask in our early beta. So we're in, in, in beta now with our users is that they um, they, sh they aim to use their wearables as much as possible throughout the day so that we can, um, so we don't have to deal with missing values and, 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 and batching the data together to make sense. Yeah, because the last thing you want to be doing as a provider of recommendations is rounding and 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 assumptive data transmissions, you know, between data transmissions, right? That's a the value of the data and training the model ultimately is based on the amount of good data we've got going in. But it's I like that idea that we should change the wearables aren't fitness wearables, they are for, you know, they're life wearables, right? In the same way that even meditation is not meditation as in like, you know, sitting in a lotus position, listening to chimes and, and bird chirping, but me a meditative activity, which could just simply be taking the shower, mm -hmm. sitting, you know, relaxing with your eyes closed for five minutes. It doesn't have to be like listening to your breath and becoming one with the earth. People really get scared of I don't know how to meditate, so I'm not going to be like, no, you do. You go for a walk around the block and listen to journey. I don't care. Whatever, whatever is meditative doesn't need to be meditation. It's mindfulness as a, a behavior, not a thing. Correct. I agree. That's, that's another one of the, the myths that I think are, you know, slowly being dispelled. I think more, more and more people are getting to it, but yes, I've, I've had similar analogies where people are like, I can't meditate. I don't have a place that I can go lay down. I was like, no, you don't need to do that. Because <laughs> yeah. I find like, especially with running and cycling, it's one of my favorite things because the moment you're, I begin, I immediately enter a, like I cognitively move into a different state once I begin, because I know I'm now separated from what I was doing before. So I'm physically moving and I can't look at my phone. I can't, you know, do whatever. And then there's a point not too long after where I suddenly hit this beautiful sort of Zen like creative state because you've freed your mind from day to day stuff. And I get in this incredibly beautiful, deep thought, deep work kind of state. And mm -hmm. then when I get back, it's fantastic because I can kind of like dump that stuff out into a notebook or into a recorder or, or whatever. So that's meditation. But for most people, they'd be like, you're going for a three hour bike ride. That's not meditation. That's exercise. And like, it sounds to me mm -hmm. like it was pretty meditative just because that was the yeah. way that my body, my mind reacted to it. So it's, uh, that's the, the kind of stuff. Well, I know I could, I've, you, I've talked way too more, way too much out of this than I should have, but George, I'm, you're exciting me about the potential, which is why I really. I feel the stuff myself and I see the impact on myself, my family and friends, and we need this type of stuff. And so there you go, folks. Basis is the place to go. Uh, of course, obviously we'll have links to, to everything you're doing. So it's basishealth.io and you're, you're in beta now, which is, I say now, as I told you at the start, like don't use time references, who knows? you know, by the time we, you know, go there, sign up either way, uh, get involved with so your own future. Of people health, can right? sign up now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. People can sign up now. Um, and, uh, we have a, um, a, a, a 
an onboarding process, they'll, they'll meet with people from our team. We'll explain to them how the product works and we'll give them uh, plenty of guidance. And they'll have essentially our team as a white glove, almost like health team on their side through beta uh, as we discover kind of like the things that actually make thing, make people uh, move towards better behaviors and uh, help them kind of interact with a user experience that makes sense. So if, if any of your listeners want to sign up, um, we're excited to have people, especially we've we've discovered that uh, other founders, other people in the space, uh, many many VCs, many uh, uh, engineers, um, but essentially anyone who has an interest in in finding a way to combine their physiological state with kind of how they make decisions about their day, whether for performance or their health, um, we'd love to would love to have them uh, try the product out, give us their their feedback, and help us almost like be a thought thought partner in 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 the stage. It's uh, it's like when somebody asked me once, I said, are you, you know, do you want to be really competitive? You know, I said, like, I, I figure that if I ride a bike for three hours and most people I know that I look at ride five, I don't think I'm in a bad place. And <laughs> to the same degree, right, that you can do something that can influence a future for not just you, but for everybody else around you, because your kids will see you taking your health seriously and taking your your diet seriously and taking your activity seriously. And, and that's, we need more of this. So George, absolutely. Thank you very much. I'm, I've, I've enjoyed this. If people want to reach you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. So George Jorgalidis. Um, I can, I can provide a link if they like, and I'm on Twitter at Jorgalidis as well. So uh, I'll, I'll give you the, the links for that. Um, and if, uh, of course, they can also reach me at george at basishealth.io. There you go. Do it. Make your life better every day and make someone else's life better because the more we help George make this platform better, the more people we can help. And that's the best bloody thing we can do as a community, right? Thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate that. Great. Thanks.